0: His glory: the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Father, we pray that as you, as we come to you this morning, and we humbly consider the beauty of such a mystery. We pray that you would speak into our hearts and in our minds that you would transform us from the inside out. We pray God the things that hindered so many in the days the gospel was first presented, we pray that we might be able to experience your fullness, your glory, and the life you came to give. In Jesus' name, amen. I introduced, as I read these same scriptures last week, that Part of the motivation in me communicating some thoughts as I study the Gospel of John is we all are aware of people who began a a relationship with God. They seem to be moving in a direction that knows about Jesus Christ, experiences his salvation. They seem to be tracking along, and then for whatever reason, they seem to disappear, they seem to fall. They seem to have lost focus upon the beauty of that relationship. In other words, they're not following Christ anymore. I don't know about you, but that really works on me because I um, have known some of these people. I have interacted with some of these people. I, I, I truly love these people. We, we work together. We live together. We expressed our faith together. And when someone close to you Holds dearly to what you hold dearly, and somehow the things that are supposed to be of security value seem to fall apart as you and I are racing through time. You and I realize, as much as the gospel was intended to explode and continue to accelerate and advance and reach the four corners of the earth, that quite often we're finding tragedy upon tragedy, there seems to be a collapse of the beauty and the precious plan of God. Something seems to have gone wrong with the harvest. Something no longer is what it once is. Well, we could simply say the times are changing. The world is becoming whatever it's becoming, and people are becoming what people uh, ultimately become. We can always tell ourselves that there's some kind of a, uh, 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 of a, a problem that can be explained somehow. And yet, when we look at John's Gospel tied together with this sense of what might be happening is, what are we going to do about it? So as I look at the gospel of Jesus Christ, I realize that not only it is presented as it's presented and revealed as he chose to reveal it. But he's put his hand of blessing upon these words. He's given us a mission, and he's promised to to impart to us the Spirit of God that will guide us and keep us and empower us. And we can look at all these concepts. But as I was reading through the Gospel of John recently, I realized some of this stuff is almost impossible, humanly speaking, to figure out. John's Gospel is so unique in the sense that he kind of leaves people hanging, and there's never quite a conclusion until Jesus is crucified, buried, and risen again. What we need to understand, though, is you and I, until certain components begin to take place in our life, and certain conditions of the mind and conditions of the heart, we might know the answers But our hearts may not end up in the right place. And I trust that by looking at the beauty of the presentation of the gospel, uh, as John gives it, that it might minister to us in such a way that one small piece that possibly we have missed or overlooked or not taken to heart, we could find ourselves in a face that not only saves us, It changes us. Not only changes us, it ensures our ultimate victory. So that once again, we can enjoy the richness of the gospel that's intended and also speak words of life and hope and confidence to people around us and say the gospel is still just as powerful as it always was. And though some would point to this person and that person, we can say, but this gospel is the truth. And that truth will set us free. And that's the beauty of the message of life, is somehow there seems to be creeping into the world that you and I are sort of just swayed in the wind and we hope that we end up blown onto the right seashore someday. The gospel was never intended to be a hit-and-miss type of truth. It was intended to teach us. It was intended to ground us. It's intended to compel us. It's intended to drive us. It's intended to bring us to a place where you and I don't get to the finish line alone, but we get there with many other people that God has chosen to bless us and use us in the journey so that we can have great hope and great confidence. As we look at the mystery, though, we realize that there's a lot of terminology that is used interchangeably and it's, it's knit together in, in, in some kind of a tapestry that until certain things begin to shape in our life or positions we take in our heart, you and I are going to be more confused than transformed. Last week we touched upon verses 6 and 7. Allow me to read those uh, once again. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. And I'll read in, in verse 8 as well. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. As you and I know, that John somewhat uh, has remained... A mystery himself. When people asked him who he was, I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not one of the prophets. Well, who are you? Just tell us who you are so we can go back and tell the the authorities who you are. Why are you baptizing people if you're not one of these? John simply says, I'm not. I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. And so when we think of John's ministry, he is of preparation. He sets the tone of the mind. He begins to dabble with the condition of your heart. He does somewhat of a tilling process. So when Jesus comes, seeds can be planted. Some of us may not be aware of John's ministry to its fullest extent, and somehow the preparation might somehow have not completed its work. Or maybe there's people you know that you're scattering seeds of the gospel, and somehow it's not going anywhere. It's not planting. It's not taking root. We need to humbly consider, what is this preparatory work of John? Why is it important, or is it important now that Jesus has come? Can we simply skip over it and move on? Last week, we went into great detail recognizing, yes, you need John's message before we receive Christ's message. Look at Luke chapter 7, verse 6 and 8. We want to uh, look at Luke, or I'm sorry, 29 and 30. Luke chapter 7. Verses 29 and 30. Here's a summarization of the value of John the Baptist's ministry, but also the fact that it is a door, a preparation, a pathway. Tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledge that God's way was right, notice because, because they had been baptized by John. Here's the flip side. Verse 30, But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves. Notice the because. Because they had not been baptized by John. The question ultimately is, have we been to the Jordan River? Have we understand the significance of John's message and ultimately his baptism last week? we attempted to humbly consider that somehow confession at the Jordan River is a very important component and sets the tone for the message of Jesus Christ. If somehow the conviction of sin has not quite penetrated me, the Savior is simply an option. But if, in fact, conviction has become a living reality and I boldly and confidently make a more and fearless inventory of my life, My heart is set for the seeds of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Conviction is not a bad thing. It simply brings us to the Jordan River that almost pleads with John, I am ready to be baptized. Baptism itself is a new generation concept that is floating away. Do I really have to get into the water to be baptized? John's message is, I don't want to miss this. The whole message of life was a preparation. It sets the tone, the condition. It's this longing to be right with God and experience the blessing of God and the favor of God. John began to to till up the soil as a plow comes through and prepares it so that when the seeds of truth, the gospel comes, it will plant and take root. There are many things that we can look at. We're not going to replay all that we went over last week, but it's important to humbly ask ourselves, has the work of John, the work of God in preparing my heart, allowed its completion so that when the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ comes, it can plant root and thrive and prosper and be a blessing? John chapter 1. Let's go back to uh, the gospel of John. Uh, chapter 1 now, and I want to read verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Verse 14, the Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We not only consider the preparatory work of, of God as uh, he utilizes John in this process, and John makes it clear of a voice. I'm sent with a message to prepare people so that when the Savior comes, he is the light of he can begin to shine into the darkness of humanity. But we go backwards now, In the beginning is a word, and no doubt, in, in order to encounter the power of the gospel, in order to understand the concept of experiencing a living God, in order to understand what it means to belong to God, and to have the assurance of this great and glorious salvation, you and I must understand that the gospel is introduced here as the word now that might seem to be somewhat vague it might appear to be confusing but it's important to understand uh, the voice of these words that John has given are sacred and the message that John spoke but he's not the savior even though god had used him in the process John's word does not save it's the word is jesus So Jesus' word are the power of the gospel. Uh, often when Jesus came speaking, they never recognized that he had real authority, he had no real voice. They sort of equated Jesus as maybe a prophet. They equated Jesus as someone who is simply another voice crying in the wilderness. They, they brought Jesus down to a place where his words had lost their effectiveness. They had lost the power. But those that saw him for who he is, those words connected with this heart. John's words must be believed. John's baptism must be received. But still it is God's words that Jesus comes to bring life and truth to us. When we think in terms of these words, we're reminded of uh, many different things, and that's what we want uh, to look at. When you see uh, in John 1.1, In the beginning, no doubt we would almost rightly recognize, I've heard that before. Where would you find it? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible opens with these words. And so it's important to recognize that as John pointed to Jesus and he said that the light is coming. That the first element of creation was God said, let there be right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as we look at these, we understand that John is not writing to confuse. He's simply communicating in a way that everything begins with an understanding that the Word is the creative power of God. That the Word is the origin of life. That the word is the designer of life, the shaper of life, the maker of life, the one who calls things for a purpose and a specific plan. God, ultimately, when he speaks, it is so. And we go through all the process of creation and then summarize, God said, and it was so. When Jesus is presented to us, As the one who speaks, and it is so, we need to understand that this is the word of faith. It is the faith that Jesus ultimately had said we must believe in. Not simply believe in the idea of a Savior dying for our sins, but we're believing that when Jesus speaks, it's the same power, it's the same force, it's the same creative energy that brings life into our existence. We must hear it. We must receive it. We must believe that what Jesus says, it is so. Is our faith connected to the creative power of God's Word. It's not simply a word that is tucked away in a book. It's not simply an idea or thought that floats through our head. It It takes us back to the beginning. The beginning of the world. The beginning of my life. The beginning of all that I can grasp and understand. Eternity begins long before and continues on forever. He is the word that we, he speaks, it is the word of faith. I realize that some of this might be a little confusing, but we need to understand, there were many people who liked Jesus, but did not take his word as the only word. They did not accept that he was more than just a guy with good words or nice words or appealing words. They did not connect him with the God in the beginning. Your faith is important that it rests upon the true identity of Jesus Christ. He is the Word. The Word was in the beginning. The Word uh, was with God. And the Word was God. Faith is that which believes in what is revealed to us. It believes in what is spoken. It believes in what is said, because the secret to a new life in which you and I possess is that God speaks us into existence. Uh, Let's look at uh, Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. And we want to look at verses 16 through 25. Now, you remember, briefly, when we think about the the creation story, is God did not start with a chemistry set. And he didn't put together a couple chemicals, and he didn't put together a couple ingredients, and he tried. Now, there's something we need to understand about Abraham. Abraham is called the father of our faith. He is the one that if you want to understand faith and you want to understand believing in what God has spoken, Abraham is, is this example. He is the one that God has called out and he has blessed. Uh, Romans chapter 4 beginning with verse 16, therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace. And may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of of the law, but also those who are the faith of Abraham. He's the father of us all. Notice verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed. Notice here, the God who gives life to the dead. And he calls things that are not as though they were. When Jesus communicated his words, the assumption was that your faith would latch on to not what you think you can change. Not what you think you might be willing to do. Faith in the gospel believes that regardless of my past, God has my future. Regardless of what I've done, he is going to do something new. Regardless of my upbringing, he has a destiny for me. Regardless of my will, he will shape it and break it. Regardless of my intentions, he will take me out of nothing and put me into what he calls something. Our faith quite often in our American culture is rapidly becoming an improvement of the past. It is rapidly becoming a gospel of progress. It is rapidly becoming a thought that regardless of who you are, you're still human. You're still weak. You're still flesh. The gospel of Jesus is that you and I are new creations in Christ Jesus. Can we handle that the Word was with God and the Word was God? And that word has become flesh. And that word now lives in you and I. It's faith. It's the acceptance of the word that speaks life into our being. And so the faith we put in Jesus Christ is not so much what we hope he might do. It's an acceptance, a receiving of what he promises us to become. It's a face that simply takes it at face value. And as he created life out of nothing, he creates life out of you and I, out of nothing. As we think in terms of these, we realize there's some deep abiding mysteries, but ultimately we ride through the concept of the word of faith. Now the second thing when we think in terms of the word of God is not only its ability to create or originate life, or to set into motion a a whole new you. You and I are, are simply the products of God's own making as we receive them. But as we look at the word now, we realize the word also is loaded with what is called the blessing of God. So everything that God gives, everything that Jesus speaks, is not only a word that creates life, but it's a word that keeps on blessing you and I. So the application, obviously, is is the more that you eat, the more you experience a blessing. The more you walk in a relationship with this spoken word, the more that you come alive. Man does not live on bread alone, but... Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's important that you and I understand when Jesus is throwing words out, he's not just making them up as he goes. He is giving the the kind of spiritual food that as you eat it, you will not only be nourished, you will not only grow, but you and I ultimately will become... Living in God. It is the word that speaks into our life. This concept of the blessing uh, ties together with many Old Testament uh, stories. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 12 and we'll look at 1, 2, and 3. Genesis chapter 12, 1, 2, and 3. So here we are, we're, we're following the Jesus guy, and we hear a few things, and we draw a few conclusions, and ultimately, the way that you and I are, are beginning to experience transformation is we have heard John, and he got to us. So we joined him at the Jordan River, and we laid all the cards out. We confessed it all, we repented, we understand the Word of God is, well, John says, look to him. The following John, John set the tone, he prepared the soil, and he says, there's one coming after it. So he points to Jesus. Look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And other times, it John's disciples now become Jesus' disciples, and he becomes this light that enlightens every man. Genesis chapter 12, 1, 2, and 3. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your country your people, your father's household, and go. Go to the land that I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. The concept of blessing is woven all throughout the scriptures. We know that when uh, uh, Jacob and Esau had their little contest going on, and uh, Esau uh, really doesn't uh, cherish or value the birthright. And so he sells it to his brother at a reasonable price, a bowl of stew. And then later on, when uh, 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 Jacob grows a little bit more and he's suggested by his mother that that blessing, you need to make sure it's yours, and you got it. So they deceived the dad into putting his hands upon the son that he did not know, but on the one that he assumed, and so he puts his hand a blessing on Jacob. And what does Jacob say when he finds out he's been duped? Is there not another blessing for me? That's an important concept to understand that the blessing is pronounced and when it's pronounced, there's no changing it. There's no backing out. There's no renegotiating. It's important to know that when God says, it's settled. When God has spoken, it's finished. When God has given his blessing upon your life and mine, you and I are going to walk away blessed. And so the principle of the gospel is that the words that you and I take, which begin to experience the creative power of making you and I a new you, there is also within it the blessing. And that blessing given to Abraham was given in covenant terms. His part was to leave and to go, and to follow God as he shows him. And that's important. Jesus picked up on that concept quite often and mentioned about follow me. It ties right back to the Abrahamic covenant. It ties right back to the concept of blessing. As long as you and I are walking in fellowship and following Jesus, you and I will reap the blessings that come from God. It's in the words but it comes in a covenant agreement. We have made a commitment to take the words of Jesus as if they were the most important thing in our lives. And that's what the Gospel of John is introducing. Is There are many that never quite could see it, they never could understand it, they couldn't quite connect who Jesus was. The important thing is, come and see. Come and follow. As you and I keep following Jesus, the confusion begins to go to the left and to the right. The clarity comes as we enter into covenant. I'm leaving my past, and I'm going to his intended future. And on this journey, my face will experience not only the initial transforming work of God, but it's also going to bless me in the journey. When you and I realize that we stepped into a world of blessing, when you and I experience the favorable richness of God, it's important to humbly realize, Jesus, you're the key. As we embrace this, there is this blessing of God. We could go on and on and on looking. If you ever want to do an interesting study, just look up the word blessing. It's known through the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's all about a relationship of commitment, loyalty, and love. The favor of God comes when we step into the leading and the going and the following concept. A third important thing when we think in terms of the word that Jesus is identifying himself with, he was with God and he was God. Look at Colossians chapter 2 and verses 2 and 3. Back to the New Testament. Colossians chapter 2, 2 and 3. The Apostle Paul writes that my purpose is that they, meaning the, the church in Colossae, may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. I realize it's deep. In order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When Jesus spoke, people were amazed at his wisdom. They were amazed that what he spoke went right to the heart. They were amazed at the details of wisdom. When, when the word is used in Scripture, what goes with it is power. What goes with power is This faith that activates and draws us and and causes us to want more. It's it's a word that brings blessing into your life. The third thing that comes with the concept of word is wisdom. We've all been in crowds where people talk and people talk. And we've been in other crowds where one person says something and we all know that was wisdom. Wisdom. And that's important to know that when we look at the Gospel of John, the reason why quite often the crowds were divided is there were those that were interested in what Jesus spoke and their faith to change their life, and there were those that when Jesus spoke, they believed in the blessing, and there were those that did not. There were those that when Jesus spoke, they said he's wise, and the other half of the crowd says he's demon-possessed. What you and I must recognize as we journey on through life, we invest in these words, not simply because we want to get the right answers. We need our hearts in the right place. And by allowing these words to speak into our minds and hearts, you and I are not only going to experience the the reward that comes with faith, you're going to receive the blessing that comes with believing, and you're also going to experience the wisdom that comes from on high. Many of us, if we've been following Jesus for very long, realize we are a lot wiser than we once were. You and I can see things that we never saw before. You begin to understand things. You begin to apply things because the wisdom of God is a hidden treasure, but it's in the person of Jesus Christ. We must come to Jesus Christ to recognize not only his true identity, but it certainly reveals our own identity. It's in that person of Jesus Christ. One more thing we want to look at is in 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. We have the Hebrews, James, and then we get to 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll look at verses 23 down through 25. Again, the concept of the word. We're familiar ideas in the Jewish culture, but there was this huge blockage. And the beginning of the blockage started with John. They loved him, they hated him. They admired him, and then ultimately allowed himself to be thrown into prison and decapitated. Because evil has a way of resisting that which is good and holy. And so the people were divided. There were those that loved John, and they went to the Jordan River to be baptized, and there were many who chose not to go. It might seem like a simple thing. What does it matter if I get baptized? Well, the scripture clearly makes it known. John is the preparation to Jesus Christ. Ultimately, we make an inventory of our lives and our hearts to examine whether or not we've been to the river and we've allowed the transforming work or the preparatory cleansing of dealing with our sin and racing towards a Savior who is ultimately the solution, we look at First Peter chapter one and we look at uh, uh, chapter one verse twenty-three and down to twenty-five. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Notice how through through the living an enduring word of God. For all men are like grass and all their glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this, this is the word that was preached to you. Let's go back to the gospel of John chapter one. And we want to look at that same concept of being born again as we see it in verse 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become born or to become children of God. Verse 13, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision, husband's will, but born of God. The word of God has the enormous ability to begin to give you what is called the word of faith. Your faith comes by hearing the word. And so your faith begins to rise. Some of us, it happens a little quicker than others for whatever reason, but it's important to know that word has the creative power to make you a different person. As you and I believe it, we receive it, we embrace it, we hold it, it causes us to become not the new and improved, Terry, But I am the Terry, like the Abraham, whose name was changed, and Peter's name was changed, and Jacob's name was changed. Their names were changed because their identity was changed. Their their person is changed. You and I, in faith in Jesus Christ, we are not the same person anymore. We are not cleaned up, dusted off, improved. You and I are a new you and I. That's the word of faith. The second, the word of blessing, is that you and I are well aware that when you reach out for the things of God, you touch the hem of his garment, you begin to look at truth and take truth and run with truth, you're going to walk away blessed. You find that what you ask for, God blesses you with that reward. You and I find many different ways that the blessing comes into our lives as we are faithful and following God. We also understand the wisdom of God, that you and I can understand the mysteries because the Holy Spirit is is the revealer. He begins to explain them so that you and I can take this wisdom and apply it to our life and give it away. God's wisdom comes as you and I look into the scriptures, but ultimately the one we need to look at today is you and I, our whole identity is different because we are born again. It takes us right back to where we started. It's important to know that the Word of God is the source of your new birth. Sometimes we get the idea that you and I must Uh, decide to be born again. We need to be born again to get into heaven. We understand in order to see the kingdom of God and hear the kingdom of God. But that's not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach to receive the word of God and it will create or cause you to be born again. There's a way to respond to Jesus Christ through feelings. There's a way to respond to faith by saying, that's what I would like to do. There's a way to respond by saying, that's what I need to do. There's a way to respond, that's what I ought to do. And there's another way to simply let the matter fall upon your heart and let the truth rest upon the soil of your, your heart condition. And let the seeds of God be planted, as the parable teaches, that some landed on the pathway, and some landed on the rocks, and some landed on the thorns, that some landed on the good soil. Have we allowed the baptism to break the hardness of our hearts? Have we allowed the preparatory work of John the Baptist to prepare us so when the seed or the word of God falls, it lands upon the condition of our hearts that is ready to receive? The strange thing is, Jesus never intended the new birth to be understood as a one-time concept. The new birth is the ongoing uh, result or blessing of God, day by day by day. As the manna fell in the Old Testament, so does Jesus claim to be the bread of life. He's the secret. It's Jesus Christ that lives on the castle of this kingdom or this heart. It's Jesus Christ, the Word. In the beginning, there was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And in the beginning, the Word was with God. And that Word became flesh. And now I trust He dwells in your heart and mind. As we begin to search through the beauty of the gospel and the power to change our lives, I trust that we might be a church this year that is not driven by our feelings, that we're not compelled by great intentions, but we might be transformed by the Word that speaks life into our hearts, that we might understand and passionately pursue the Word, and examine the Word, and admire the Word, and be fascinated with the Word, and be filled with the Word, and we might allow the life that God promises to do. He will do that in us. Can we trust this Jesus guy? All through the crowds, they were constantly divided. Many of them never quite got it, because the barriers they established was, I want to think about it one more day. The beauty of Scripture says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And that's the message, God's word, the entry into the gospel, the beauty of the good news, is that when he speaks, I find myself saying, here I am, send me. And yet, even when he speaks, I trust we realize God's chosen method of blessing is through what's written. I trust, as we journey on through this year, we realize these aren't just words that are 2,000 years old. They're alive and well, but it depends on our reception, not so much whether or not he proves it. We humbly come in faith, reaching for the blessings, searching for its wisdom. But ultimately, our goal and purpose is that we might be the children of God transformed by these words. Father, we humbly come to you and invite you to do your great and your glorious work. As you've begun in the past, we trust you'll continue to pour that into our life. Most importantly, give us courage. As we've come by faith, we've acknowledged these things that we would begin to realize. The message I need to share, the voice that needs to come from my lips is these words through the Holy Spirit, be given to others on our left, on our right, in front of us, and even behind us. Lord, give us the courage to believe in the power of the old-time gospel. We praise you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, because one of the most Uh, profound mysteries about the person of Jesus Christ is when he would take the words he spoke and he would use ones like unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood you do not have life in yourself I'm sure anyone who had any sacredness to the concepts of God's holiness either chose to humbly receive it or they really wanted to kill this guy. And that is the division of the gospel. Though it makes sense in our minds, that's not the issue. The issue is, can I handle truths from the Savior of the world? Can I take it, though it seems strange to my ears, can I receive the life that only comes through Jesus Christ? We are about to become partakers of his flesh and his blood. Let's pray. Father, we are reminded once again of all that you have done and all that you have taught and all that you promised to be in us and through us. We humbly acknowledge that our salvation is based completely and entirely upon the sacrificial death of your son Jesus Christ. We trust, Lord, that as we by faith receive your truths of what you've done, that we might allow your life to be imparted to us. Allow us, Lord, to recognize as this bread and this juice represents what you have done. We pray that as we come to this humble and sacred moment, that we might allow ourselves to go back in time to the time that you first served it to your disciples. And though it might have seemed to be somewhat of a resistive experience, we pray that we would drink and eat with confidence. In Jesus' name. We're going to hand out the cracker to everyone. Uh, please hold it till everyone's served, and we will partake of it together. Let's pray. Father, as a reminder again, we realize that your son paid an awful price, that the bread of life was crushed and crucified. And we thank you that what you have done for us is able to minister to us. We pray that as we humbly allow the need for our great salvation, that we might consider the beauty of feeding upon you and letting your words speak life to us. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He included each and every one of his disciples with every intent that everyone eats. What the covenant gives us is we believe, we trust in the blessing, we look into his eyes for wisdom, and we come because we belong to him because we are born of God. And in that faith, that connection, we believe that what he did on the cross has blessed me, that all my sins, or paid for. That all my guilt has been atoned for. That all my shame, my faith I believe, it's gone. It's over. It's in the past. And my life belongs to the king who died for me. Jesus says, focus not on ourselves. He says... Our eyes are on Jesus. He paid it all. Because that's what love does. He said to his disciples, take Eve, every one of you, remember me. Let's pray. Lord, it would seem in our minds enough to simply be a God of mercy and compassion and simply somehow say, it's all okay. But because you're holy and just, and because there's power in the blood, you gave yours so we could be free. Forgive us for the times that we have looked at sin as if it's not much of a thing, but especially forgive us for the time that your blood was shed and has simply become so familiar to us that it no longer stirs us to live with integrity and passion. But Lord, we thank you for the blessing that even today... We can come to terms with the reality of what we've allowed ourselves to drift from one side to the other. And where our sins are atoned for, not only the past, but the present and the future. Thank you for the power of your saving blood. Commit these things, we pray, Lord, to you. And may you revive us in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone, please hold the cup to we'll serve together. And we will celebrate the victory. In the same way, After supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. The blood was something you didn't touch, because the blood was sacred. Let alone the blood of the Son of God but it was shed because it was the price, the acceptable means of atonement for our sins. It's not only sealed the potential of our cleansing, but this is the security of our salvation. Because the shed blood continues to speak on our behalf. Jesus said that the focus is not on us, it's to humbly consider All the significance of the blood and its cleansing power and the promises of redemption. And as we believe and we hold the toast, we speak to God with a sense of holy gratitude. Thank you for your blood. We praise the Lamb of God who is slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus said, remember me. Do we have a soul of victory?